Rebuilding after divorce can seem daunting. You're emotionally broken. You may be financially broke, and your spirit may be a little broken too. Everyone knows that I preach that life after divorce can be awesome, but sometimes getting there can be less than fabulous. Sometimes it can just be hellish. In today's episode, we are talking about rebuilding, rising up, and overcoming. Let's jump in. The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you, and it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women Make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Even After Podcast. I am here today with Emily Moines. And aside from being a mother of three, she is an accomplished business owner, podcaster, and published author. Shortly after her second divorce, Emily embarked on a transformative journey that led her to embrace her authentic self and rebuild a kick-ass life after leaving an abusive marriage. She has since penned her first book called Rising Up, started a staging and interior decoration business, and hosts a podcast called Get Real with Mama Moines. I love that. She's a huge proponent of women supporting women and devotes her podcast and social media platform towards inspiring, encouraging, motivating, and empowering women. She continues to be a voice for the voiceless and professes to like animals more than humans. Me too, Emily, me too. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and and have this conversation with you. Yeah, like we are both in the same club and that's the Twice Divorce Club. So, I mean, I think let's start there because I think there's a lot of us out there and people don't talk about it and they're like, oh, they have so much shame around it because it's like, all right, if I'm twice divorced, what's wrong with me? So, you know, let's dive into that first. Like, how did that sit with you initially when you stepped into this membership that you probably didn't want to be part of? Um, okay. Well, you know, honestly for me, not good because I literally, I did worse the second time around than I did the first time around. Yeah. And that for me, it was like a huge disappointment. Like what the, Mm -hmm. you know, so my second marriage was, it was all kinds of crazy and it was the most toxic relationship I have ever had in my life. And you would have thought, right, coming out of a first divorce, that you would have at least picked someone that you, I'm just shocked that the first time I actually, this is hard freaking pill to swallow. The first time I actually did get it right. Mm. The second time I didn't. And that in itself is a cluster mind fuck to be honest so why because I'm with you I have the same story and the second one oh my god wait did you get it right the first time and then well, chose worse the y- second you know time? what I don't think I got it right my first husband was a, is a really good man he was not the right match for me and I think that he is in a relationship with his perfect match so I yep. got it right in the sense that yes there was a good human compared to the yes. second one <laughs> Yes. Yes. And what I mean by that same, so same now being 55 though, and reflecting back when I think 
of that first marriage. And he is the father of all three of my children. I do think that that marriage probably could have been salvaged. Um, I'm such a huge believer that unless you have what I consider to be the three A's in your relationship, which is adultery, abuse, or addiction, which are my deal breakers, then pretty much everything can be worked out if you want it to. And I just feel like there wasn't an, there, you know, there wasn't adultery, there wasn't abuse, there wasn't addiction. There was just really freaking annoying shit. <laughs> and we were just in a place that I, I'm going to own it and say I was selfish. I have to own my part in it because at the time I was like, no, you're the one that's, there's all kinds of wrong with you. Mm-hmm. But now I own it as well. And, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow. And not that I would want that relationship back. And, I, and I'm with you on that. I think that he is where he needs to be. I am exactly where I need to be. I just am so um, boggles my mind how like you, I went from a good man, hands on, good dad to that. How long was your first marriage? And then how long was your second one? Uh, first was about 10 years. Second well, together for 15 years in the second. Oh, okay. So that was long. Mm-hmm. But I know why. Have you been following the Gabby Petito case? I have been. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with it. I've been talking a lot about it on my podcast. Yeah, because you don't even know. I don't know for you, but I didn't even really, I didn't understand cognitive dissonance, which I now know about, trauma bonding, Stockholm Syndrome. All of that was actually going on for those years, but I didn't really understand what it was. I had never heard of words like gaslighting. Mm. Didn't know what that was. Yeah. Gaslighting, projection, love bombing. Like I had never heard of any of that. It wasn't until I embarked on my divorce when I started that transformative journey and I started really digging deep that I realized I was in a narcissistic abusive relationship. I always say that when I came out of my second marriage, it was like I came out a broken version of myself. Like I didn't even know who I was anymore because it was like they do a number on you. Yes. Yes. And I and I can't believe that I because I so my background is I came from Portugal um, at the age of seven, my parents did not speak the language. And of course, when you are, you know, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, they came to this country and then embarked upon this, like, uh, all their jobs were with Italian, Portuguese, mm-hmm. you don't even need to learn the language. So I had to be very resourceful, very young. And I did quite well for myself having to be resourceful, not having to lean on my parents that, you know, had a lot of money, or they came with nothing $237. Wow in their pocket and three kids. So I had to be very resourceful and I did very well for myself. And I was, I thought I was someone that could discern good from bad, right from wrong. And I'm like you, I'm like, how did I get here? Like, how did I get here? There was a point where I was in a jail cell after being falsely arrested for domestic abuse. And I was in there for a long time. And I was, okay, I hope your listeners, this is honest to God truth. Peeing in a steel toilet with a camera pointed at me. And you would think at that moment that I would be as broken as broken can be. Mm. I went back. I went back. And so I got to a point where it was like, who the fuck am I? Who am I? How did I get here? How how did I get to this point of my life. Yeah. 
where I don't even matter. Anymore. How long after that moment did it take you to leave? So I left five times. I'm sorry, four times. So during the course of the 15 years, I left four times, always after an incident like that, a big blow up, uh, thinking I would be strong enough to stay away. But if you know the cycle of abuse, right, it's it's the love bombing, idealization, devalue, discard, hoover. Mm-hmm. And that hoovering, when they hoover, that's strong, that's powerful. And then you go back to the love bombing. And that cycle is just vicious. But I didn't know I was in the cycle. So the longest I was away for was a year. I rented a house, which you paid the rent on because your abuser is also your savior, Mm -hmm. right? In my case, when I was arrested, uh, he also came to save me and bailed me out of jail and all that stuff. So a lot going on psychologically when that happens. Uh, So I was away for a whole year and then still went back. And it wasn't until I didn't leave, finally leave um, for good. Um, It wasn't because of me. It was because of my daughter. And when I saw what it was doing to her, that one fateful day that um, she came home from university because she was struggling and she needed a soft place to land. And it was during the week and that she came home from university and we had a massive argument about her being home from university during the week and it blew up and the ugly names and the accusations and all that happened and it was early in the morning and it blew up and I went upstairs to her room and she was laying in her bed in a ball sobbing Mm -hmm. just sobbing she had heard the whole thing she had heard him accusing her of being lazy and fat (sighs) and all those things and I literally that day had this like major epiphany. You can do that to me. I have goosebumps. Oh, you just gave me goosebumps. (sighs) I have goosebumps. Because I was like, you know, you can do that to me all day long. And I will put up with it. And I will deal with it. And I'll sweep it under the rug or I'll whatever. But that moment when I saw her in that state, when she really needed me and needed comfort, I thought I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I cannot subject my children to this. It is so toxic. This is not what I want for them. And that was the day that changed everything. I went to my lawyer's office that day. And I basically said to the lawyer that day, you need to file divorce like ASAP. You need to just do it. Because if you do it, then I'm accountable to that. And he's going to lose his shit when he gets those divorce papers. And that's really what got the ball rolling. And I never looked back ever. I promised her. I always say that, that sometimes you have to just take that bold leap. Like you have to, you know, there's a time and place for baby steps, but when you're in a situation you're talking about, like you have to do what you talked about and just say, I'm doing this and I'm not looking back and I'm, it might be as scary as hell and I'm afraid and I don't know what it looks like, but you make that leap and just trust that everything is going to land the way it's supposed to. That's a really great point because- It was scary as hell. And it was scary as hell because I hadn't worked. So I was in a very financially privileged Mm -hmm. relationship. Now, it didn't start off that way. Like I didn't meet him and and he was, you know, this wealthy guy and, and I, you know, was a gold digger. Because at the end, that's sort of how 
I was portrayed to the flying monkeys because during the course of our relationship, he did very, very, very well for himself. But let's just back it up because when we met, he moved into, he was living in a basement apartment. Mm. He moved into my house, drove my car, used my gas cart. And then he did very, very, very well during the course of that relationship. And so by the end of it, I was very, I was in a very privileged relationship, but there was a prenup. And so I was leaving with nothing. And so, and I hadn't worked and that was scary as hell. And I don't know if you know anything about somebody that has narcissistic traits, they will win at all costs. They will not lose. It doesn't matter what it costs them. They just want to win. And so it was three years of a battle and not knowing where that money was coming from and not knowing what I was going to do. And it was that lawyer that really empowered me that I now, I just feel this, it's like my mission to give it back. We'll be back just after this message. Do you believe that on the other side of your divorce can be a life you freaking love? What if I told you that to live a happy life, you first have to believe you deserve it? How can you possibly create a life you love if you don't believe you are worthy of it? Let's get you set up to start believing in you. Just text the word BELIEVE to 411-321 to receive a free Believe Yourself Badass Guide. In this guide, we talk about power statements and how they can change your life. So stop what you're doing and text BELIEVE to 411-321. See you on the inside. So, Emily, is you, did you start your business after your divorce? Yes. Okay. And I love that so much. And I want to talk about that because so often I hear people say that they can't file for divorce or leave the marriage that's really toxic because of financial security and they don't know what's next. So can you talk a little bit about the financial journey? You went from being unemployed and and a stay-at-home wife and parent to now doing what you do now. And not having access even to bank accounts. So when we were married, I didn't have access to the bank accounts, but I had, I mean, there, I had a life before him. So I had a great job and I had, you know, my own credit cards and I had all that. But then when he started doing very, very well, I left my job and it was my dream job. I worked for um, L'Oreal and it was like, my meetings were in Paris. Like that's who I was before him. And then that's like, so if you just sort of, you know, look at that picture. I was off to Paris having national sales meetings, doing very well with the company to being in a jail cell. Wow. Twice. So it can happen to anyone. And that's why when I hear people say, well, why didn't she just get out? Why doesn't she leave? Why? Like nobody was holding a gun to her head. It is such a psychological mind game that is, that goes on that you don't even realize you're in it. And I know it's hard for people to fathom that. I know it is because it's like, well, you know, but until you're in it, guys, just I'm telling you anybody, anybody can succumb to that. So anyway, what changed my whole financial thing, even though it was a struggle, uh, was that lawyer, that lawyer said to me, I don't give a shit whose name that house is in. I don't give a shit who owns it. You have just as much right to be there as he does. And in fact, because you don't work, you don't have any income, you have three kids in university, I am going to get you temporary exclusive possession of that home. And I was like, what? Mm. Like, you can do that? 
I say, I didn't know that. So I think women listening, you need to empower yourself. You need to get educated. You need to have the knowledge. You need to speak to someone who is empowered, who knows what your rights are and get educated. Don't just sit back and think, I can't, he's too big. My husband was a multimillionaire. I had no money. I had no access to it. I got a $3,000 check paycheck from him every month. And it went to my kids because they're in university because they're not his kids. They're my kids. So when I went to see that lawyer and she said, I'm going to get you emergency support and I'm going to get you a temporary exclusive possession. And I didn't believe it. Mm. I didn't believe it. I'd been made to believe that I was powerless and defeated always. So guess what, you guys? I got temporary exclusive possession of the house and I got $7,500 a month in support and I mean, that took a while. I had to live in that house for eight months with him, him knowing all along that I was trying to get him out of his house. That was hell. And I decided if this is the hill I die on, then so be it. Yeah. I am not, I am not laying down and dying this time. I am not fucking leaving this house. And I am not going to feel powerless and defeated anymore. And I think the lesson there is that make sure you're the people around you, your team, your lawyers are some people who are on your side and are people you yeah. trust. And don't be afraid yeah. if that's not the person to get rid of them and find somebody else. Because there's lots of lawyers who don't do what your lawyer did. And they just kind of jam things yeah. down the client's throat. So you have the right to have someone on your side who is fighting for you. hundred percent. The lawyer, I'm going to have to say that the lawyer and my tribe of my friends were pivotal for me moving forward. There's so many days I woke up scared, crying. Like I remember this is a problem I have and I really need to dig deep into this. I have a really hard time asking for help. Mm. I have a hard time asking anyone or letting anyone know that I need help. And I don't, I, I've got to work on that because I'm still like that today. Yeah. I'm five years divorced and still single and just will fucking do it myself. Let's do it myself. Yeah. So I have a really hard time with that. And I remember there was a time where I had to go to court and I had to pay my lawyer's bill and she was expensive and I had no money. Like I had nothing. It was done. It was over. Now I was waiting for money to come in because there was, um, we had a property in Florida that I did was smart enough to put my name on that because my name wasn't on anything. And my lawyer had the judge force a sale of that property so I could get some um, income. So I had income coming from that property. Again, I didn't know you could even do that. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. Like a judge could force him to sell that. Anyway, so that happened, thank God. But it, it wasn't, the money wasn't coming in for months and I had no money. And I remember having to call my sister to ask her for help. And not only that, are you listening to this? My first ex-husband bailed me out financially on one occasion too, to go to court, to keep the fight going, just to get what I deserved. And that was really, really, really hard for me. I remember crying, 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 because I just, I didn't want to pick up the phone and admit that I needed help. Yeah. And of course she was like, are you kidding me? Oh my God, how much do you need? Like, it'll be in the bank tomorrow. Um, and so that's another thing, you guys, don't be afraid to ask for help. We all, I don't know why it's so hard for me to be vulnerable, but we all have times where we do need help and it's okay to ask for help. And those people that are there to help you are more than willing 
to be helpful and to help you and just lean on that support system because my friends were amazing. Amazing. I would wake up every morning with a a new text and I actually put this in my book because I thought it was so great. I put this one in my book because I woke up as not having a good morning, not having a good day. Living together was hell. That's a whole other podcast. Mm -hmm. The stuff that went on while we were living together was just insanity. And I remember I got a text saying, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, set that shit free again, because nobody else wanted it either. And I was like, oh, I just thank you. Like I need to, I need to just keep going and be in that right frame of mind and fight the fight. Because if you are truly with someone who is narcissistic, I'm sorry, you guys, it will be a fight. It's a fight, but yet you can get through it. And I think that that's the important piece because I think so often people feel stuck because they will say, well, my my spouse is going to make the fight so bad that it's easier to stay, which I think is heartbreaking because, oh my gosh, like you're choosing to stay in that horrible situation just because you don't want, you want to avoid the conflict, which that is a trait that a lot of us have. We're conflict avoidant. We don't like asking for help. We sweep things under the rug. We don't want to confront it and have the argument, which, you know, it's like, all right, you got to pull the Band-Aid off, have the uncomfortable conversation, get through the muck, because outside of that, now you can have some peace and you deserve that. Oh, I, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because what's on the other side, like, like I talk about rebuilding my kick-ass life and I've had comments like on my, on my social media you know, isn't what you had a kick-ass life? Because what I had Mm. with him was trips, you know, jet setting, two amazing vacation properties down in Florida, a Muskoka cottage. I don't know if you know what Muskokas are, but Muskoka here in Ontario is like the prestigious area to be. Beautiful cottage, beautiful home, luxury cars. So that to some people's kick-ass life, Mm. right? What I've learned with Having been in that experience is to me now today, to me, five years later, my kick-ass life is freedom. It's living life on my own terms. It's not walking on eggshells. It's like you said, the peace that comes with being content and in a peaceful place, not worrying about an eruption at any time, which would happen like that. That to me being authentically who I am, regaining my voice, using my voice, not being afraid to use my voice, writing a book after being threatened that I would be sued for writing a book. That is my kick. Ah, yes. Like, I love that so much. I love it. You know, and I think you make such a good point because none of the stuff matters. None of the fancy cars, the fancy trips, the fancy lifestyle, none of it matters if you are living in misery and you're living with someone like that. Like you can drive the nicest car that there is. And if the person sitting next to you in the passenger seat is awful and, you know, is making your life miserable, like what good is that car? No, I know. And I think that, you know, I I don't think I know because I do a podcast and get a lot of comments. One of the biggest, it's fear, right? Fear is literally paralyzing. It leaves you stuck. And if you cannot conquer that fear, you will be complacent, you will never move forward. And it's the fear 
of being alone is a huge one for a lot of people. I didn't, I never had that for me. My fear was the financial thing. Like it scared the shit out of me because I was 50. Who's going to hire me? What am I going to do? Holy shit. Like I'm washed up in the world of sales and whatever. So I, that was really, really scary. It was the financial and I had three kids in university and all that was really super scary. It wasn't the fear of being alone, but for a lot of people, it's the fear of being alone. It's the fear of change. And so if you can get past that fear of change, because you are, you're probably going to have to leave your home. You probably are. You're probably going to have to get a job if you don't, if you're a stay-at-home mom. You're going to have to sacrifice. Yeah. And you're going to have to compromise. And there's a lot of people that don't want that change. But you have to ask yourself, what do you want more? Like, what do you want more? Do you want the stuff? Do you want the home? Or do you want the peace and the authenticity that comes with just being you on your own? Like, what do you want more? And then you got to just fucking make a decision. Ah, Make a decision. Stick to it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week, next year. Worry about today. And I think that too is such a valuable lesson because I used to worry, worry, worry so much. Like worry, oh my God, what am I going to live? And what if I'm like, what if I'm living under a bridge? And just one day at a time, keep working towards baby steps. One day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. And you got to want it. You just got to want it bad enough. Emily, let's talk about your book. What inspired you to write it? And just tell us a little bit about it. So the book wasn't never supposed to be a book. It was a journal. I started writing it when I decided to to leave that marriage, to end it. I started not writing the book. I started journaling. So I was journaling. I was asking a lot of questions like, who am I? How did I get here? How do I get her back? Because I, I really miss her. And then I started doing a lot of Oh my God, I became a podcast junkie. I started listening to a lot of um, motivational speakers. I started listening to a lot of the Super Soul Sundays with Oprah. Like this is five years ago and that was big. I started reading a lot of books. Then I started embarking upon, when I started doing the research, narcissistic abuse. Oh, check. Oh, check. Mm -hmm. Check. And then the more I delved into it, the more I was learning what was really going on, human behavior, how my conditioning played such a huge part in where I am today. So I was journaling, 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 hundreds of pages of journaling. And then my sister read my journal and she's like, who was also going through a divorce. She's like, this needs to be a book. This is so good and so helpful. Like I see so much of me in what you're writing. And that really sort of organically became a book without knowing I was really writing a book. So the book is more about my journey, but how to, it's life lessons and rebuilding a kick-ass life tips after the struggle. Mm, I love that. That's really what the book is about. And where do we find it? Um, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, if you want like the, the, the Kindle version, you can go to my website, www.rebuildakickasslife.com. Um, If you go to my website, what I've been doing is um, intercepting those books and I'm sending out ever since Gabby Petito and ever since the Netflix series Made, Mm. which I encourage you all to watch if you're in an abusive relationship. Ever since that, I've been handwriting, signing, 
notes to everyone that orders my book if you order it on my website. Amazing. That is incredible. I absolutely adore our conversation. I just realized we both have fur on too. So (laughs) (laughs) great mind. I know. So Emily, final question. What do you say to the listener out there who is, was in your place where you were say six years ago before they've taken that leap? What do you say to her? Having support is really important for sure. You have to believe that you deserve a better life. You deserve peace. You deserve contentment. You matter. You were put on this earth not to struggle your entire life. You matter. Take the leap of faith that it will work out and make the decision and then follow through. Like I'm telling you, my when I made the decision, hiring that lawyer was so pivotal for me because I felt for the first time empowered. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Get support. Don't be afraid. Fear is going to keep you stuck. Conquer that fear. I know it's easier said than done, right? Like, oh, it's easy for you and everything worked out. And I, you know, there's support out there. Uh, there's women's shelters if you're in a really abusive relationship. And I've also had women that are afraid for their lives. And so I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like, but I would rather be alone and living under a bridge than crying every day, every day and wanting better. So just make a decision and then go for it. Oh, such good stuff. I so appreciate you. I'm so grateful for the time that you spent with me today and just so grateful for your book and your message because it is so needed. And I think the more that we share our stories, the more people kind of can let go of that fear because they know that they're not alone. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And what you just said is is brilliant. You are not alone. You are I can tell you you are not alone. The messages I get every day, you are not alone. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after.